Well, we are in our final study, really this time, in Colossians chapter 4, as we look at the final verses 15 through 18, and we see the last two of 10 precious people that Paul mentions in this book. In the book of Romans, remember, it's 26 people he mentions. And uh, in the whole New Testament, he mentions about 100 people in totality. Paul really didn't just see the masses. He saw people individually. And as we've been going through this, looking at these individuals, the theme that has come across over and over again is faithfulness. It's required of a steward not to be great, not to be rich, not to be famous, not to be eloquent, not to be a guy who draws the masses, but a man who, whatever ministry is, God's going to ask, have you been faithful in doing that? Predominantly, that's keeping on, keeping on until the end, your end or the rapture of the church. And, and God, when he returns, we are going to stand before the judgment seat, not the white throne of judgment, but the bema seat of reward. And at that point, each one's praise will come from God, whether we have been faithful. So we've been asking this question, if we found our name written in the book of, of the Bible, what would it say about us? Would it say like Luke, he was there with me to the end, the only one? Or would it be like Demas, who still loves this present world and has departed? Well, we saw Tychicus and Onesimus, two faithful ministers of the Lord. And we know for them, they're going to hear Jesus say, just as he said, this, you're going to all want to hear this. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Well, last week we looked at our uh, Aristarchus, who was faithful in the midst of trials. We saw John Mark, who was faithful to restart and start over and became incredibly a fruitful minister, even though he stumbled at the beginning. We saw Justice, who's really his name was Jesus, but he changed his name. And uh, he continued in the ministry. That was all he needed to do. And then Epaphras, one who labored in prayer and a great example to us. Paul was greatly encouraged. And last week we looked at a contrast between Luke and Demas. Today we're going to look at Nymphus and Archippus. And we come uh, also to all the brethren in the church of Laodicea. So in verse 15 now, Colossians 4 verse 15, Greet the brethren who were in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that it is in his house. Greet. This word in the Greek is salute or embrace. I like in 2 Corinthians 13, 12, where Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. So it is definitely a loving embrace. It's not a sterile handshake, you know, like a politician might do. No, this is a, a greeting to one another. Is, is Satan Satan trying to mess with this here, Andrew? Cast that demon out. So, greeting one... It is me. It's me? Or is it the battery? Hello. Hello, hello. And so he said, greet one another. It's a loving embrace or even a holy kiss. And the brethren who are in Laodicea. So although he's writing the letter to the Colossae church, 
We got to remember there's three churches in the Lycus Valley that Paul talks about. And that is the church of Hierapolis, the church of Colossae, and the church of Laodicea. And so all three of these churches were mentioned, and all three of the churches, Epaphras most likely started and was praying for all of them. And now he mentions a guy named Nymphus. Now, if you don't have a King James or a New King James Bible, you'll say, hey, mine's a little different, and it talks about... And so some of your Bibles may say, hey, it says Nymphus and the church in her house. So some of your translations may say, hey, it's the church in her house. So Nymphus and the church in his house. This this is where I, I need to at some point do an extensive study on canonization and all the various manuscripts that exist and the textual variances. And that's what we have here. Understand, when the first Bible was translated, the science of archaeology didn't even exist. (laughs) That didn't start until the 1800s. And the only text there was, was the Byzantine text. They also called it the Textus Receptus, the received text. So that's the only Bible translation there was. But when archaeology started, they started finding other manuscripts all over the world of that time. And so you you then end up with the Alexandrian text, the Papyrus 66, the various Kodiatic um, texts. There's several of them, mainly the Codex Sinaiticus. There'll be a test on this afterwards. And... uh, And so some of them are older. Some of them, there was more manuscripts with that type of um, wording. But, But understand, if you took all the possible textual variances in the entire New Testament and you added them up, they're not even one half of 1%. If you were to take all the textual variances and just throw them away, You would not miss one name. You would not miss one doctrine. You would not miss one story in the entire New Testament. Most of the textual variances are, instead of saying Jesus Christ, it just says Jesus. Or it says Jesus Lord, uh, Jesus Christ our Lord, or the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the kinds of variations that you mainly have. But here, in this particular one, all the Alexandrian text has her nymphus in the feminine, but the Byzantine text, the King James Bible, is, has the masculine. And, and I, I have studied this through for years. I, I've had many different translations, and um, I, I definitely hold to the, the King James text because that's all there was for almost 500 years. There wasn't a choice of other manuscripts. But anyway, that, that's a something for another day, but since the King James Bible was good enough for the Apostle Paul, um, it's, in his, it's in his house, yes, his house. Down to verse 16 now. Now, when this epistle is read among you, see that it's read also in the church of Laodicea, and that you also likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So when this epistle 
is read to one church, Paul is saying, read it to all the churches in the Lycus Valley. But in reality, these letters went to every single church. And it depended on really what spoke to them, because you would have to write them out. And to handwrite them out was an extensive, difficult job in those days. Not everybody knew how to write and read. And not everybody uh, had the, the money for the various papyrus and, and so forth. So the, the letters that really did circulate are the ones we have in the New Testament. So there are many other letters. In 1 Corinthians, Paul mentions, hey, refer to the letter I wrote to you before 1 Corinthians. Uh, he mentions that. So there are many different uh, letters that Paul wrote that are not in the New Testament, and they're not meant to be in the New Testament. Just because Paul wrote a grocery list doesn't mean it's the Holy Spirit's authorship, you know. It, it, no, Paul didn't make something that would be inspired by the Holy Spirit canonized. It was the Holy Spirit's choosing. And when we go through canonization, you'll understand that, that process that the church went through by around 327 AD is when they had the canonized New Testament as we have it today. He does say that the church in his house. And again, um, at this particular time, you it didn't have church buildings. A big part of it was the persecution. I mean, it was legal to be a Christian, and then it wasn't legal to be a Christian. And Pretty much, the church had to become an underground church. And one of the ways they did that was meeting house to house. And when you look at some of the sizes of these churches, one house would not be sufficient. So they had to have many different houses and either a pastor or an elder for each of these various house churches. What did they do? Well, it's interesting. In Acts chapter 2, verse 40, 41, he tells us, the, the way Paul wanted it laid out, and the way, not Paul, but the way the apostles laid it out, and it would continue to today. In Acts chapter 2, verse 40 to 41, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day were about 3,000 souls were added to them. So when Peter preached, 3,000 souls were saved, and then shortly thereafter, there was this pattern. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrines and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and prayers. These four things, the apostle doctrine. But of course, in time, the apostles weren't there. They were there in Jerusalem, <laughs> So the apostles could go to all the various groups and, and those who had learned under those apostles. But in time, it would have to now be letters that were written or information passed on to their disciples. And as we know, in time, it really turned out that most of the letters that were the most fruitful that were the ones read in all the churches was the letters from the Apostle Paul. About half of the New Testament books are from the Apostle Paul. 
And so notice again, the number one, we're steadfastly staying in the apostle doctrine. That tells us there was a lot of other doctrines coming up. And then the word fellowship. This is, this is not eat a donut, drink coffee, and talk about baseball or football or whatever, even though that's wonderful. The word fellowship, we get the word communion. Do you know that's our word, communion? Communing together, fellowshipping together, an intimacy. It's a partnership. So it's, it's really we're linked. We're all in this together. It's not your Christian walk. It's your Christian walk and my Christian walk and all of our Christian walk because we're one body. And we sense this when one suffers, all are suffering. When one is doing well, we all rejoice. That's the way the Christian church was meant to be. And I have pastored large churches. I've been a part of large churches that felt very small. And I felt I've been with some large churches and nobody was connected. And I understand when you have a large church, you have a lot of looky-loos every week, you know. And I've been a part of churches that, that had thousands coming Sunday morning, but it was really only about 200 that were a part of serving and giving and at the prayer meetings and a part of it. And they were linked. And so you really need to make yourself linked. And how do we do that again? Being honest with one another, praying for one another, confessing our sins to one another, praying for one another, really asking, tell me what God's been speaking to you through the word. And if they don't have an answer, it's probably because they, they haven't been uh, in the word and meditating and fellowshipping with the Lord. So I asked him what God spoke to him in the sermon today. But they were intimately involved communing with one another. And the third thing was they were breaking bread. This is, I think, saying communion. They would have a meal, but they would have communion as well. Okay, everybody 80 years old and above, shut your phones off. (sighs) What else can go wrong? Okay, here we go. (laughs) And after having communion. And, we, and here at the church, we do it once a month together. But on Wednesday nights, we're trying to remember to bring out the basket. And during our time of prayer and worship, if people want to come up and get it, they can and, and have communion regularly. And then lastly, in prayers, they really prayed. And that was for sure uh, the one thing that stood out more than anything else on these churches were their times in prayers. And when I went into Eastern block countries not long after the Iron Curtain fell, when we found the Christians that had been walking with the Lord behind the Iron Curtain, that was, they, they would spend time in the Word. They, they didn't really sing that much. If they did, it was out of the hymnal. But I'll tell you what, they prayed for hours. And that was just what they wanted. That was what they, they, they knew was the most effective. And so if you were to try to describe what the church behind the Iron Curtain was, and in China, I haven't been there, but as well, I understand. Like I said, they spend time in the Word. They may sing a couple of songs, but really it's a couple-hour prayer meeting or longer. When we first went to Eastern Europe, people would come, but they would travel an hour, hour and a half by train to get there. 
So you tried to have an hour, hour and a half long service, and, and you would have <laughs> mutiny on your hands because they didn't travel that far to just, you know, sing some songs, be done in 20 minutes, hear a sermon for 40 minutes, get up. No, they wanted more. So we'd worship again, and somebody else would teach. And worship again, somebody else would teach. And this would go on for hours with uh, very lengthy prayer times as well. So again, I, I do pray that our church becomes a house of prayer. And what was the effect of that in Acts 2, 46, 47? That they were one cord. They were breaking bread from house to house. They were had a gladness and a simplicity of heart. They were praising God, had favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I love that. What a great thing. And so this epistle that was written to the Colossae church would be a canonized scripture, but the epistle written to Laodicea would not be one that the Holy Spirit inspired to be for all churches for all times. I'm sure it was very anointed for Laodicea, and I'm sure that the, the things that Paul wrote to the Laodicean church was of great benefit to the churches in that valley, and it did circulate. It just wasn't that it circulated over a period of hundreds of years and was continued written down, and people wanted to read it and incorporate it into their church service, and therefore it just sort of disappeared, as many other letters written by the apostles and Paul himself happened. Dave Guzik says this on that subject. We should not assume from this that the tr our treasure of inspiration is incomplete. The Holy Spirit has chosen to preserve those letters that are inspired for the church in a universal sense. Paul was not inspired in this way every time he set a pen to the paper. Well, verse 17 and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. So Paul is naming a guy and saying specifically to him and to those around the church there to encourage him. So say to those in Laodicea in the church in his house, and in particular, one of the guys that has a ministry at the church of Laodicea has sort of quit. He wasn't Demas who forsook Paul and went to like the prodigal son to another town to live uh, outside of Christ. He was still in the church. He just wasn't doing anything but setting. What happens is people, even the best of people, at times, are hurtful. And, and pastors, in particular, are people pleasers. I mean, I don't, I don't know a pastor that would pastor if it wasn't that he loved people and wanted to be around people and minister to people. You know, to be in a shop in the back and soldering things or making widgets, it, just, it would be hell. He's got to be talking to people and touching people and and helping people, a lot of times it may be in a store and you're a customer care, you know. But, but what happens, though, is people unwittingly are cruel. And, and this is something that you teach the leaders of the church, not just pastors. Try to tell them right up front. You, you've got to be prepared for this. Not everybody has the same tools. 
Now, there's some people that were raised by very gracious parents, and they were told uh, how to be gracious, and they were modeled how to be gracious and kind. And then there are people that were born by a, and raised by a pack of wolves, okay? And, and, and they're in their 40s and 50s learning what they should have learned at 12. But for some reason, it just didn't reach them. And you'll be surprised, there's always a good group of that, but it only takes one or two to devastate, especially a young pastor. And, and so I don't know what happened with Archippus, but he just said, I'm done. I, I, I don't, I don't want to not be a part of the church. I'm still a part of the church. I just don't want to be in leadership position or to teach anymore or to lead worship anymore or to put myself out there anymore to get stabbed again. I, I'm just, I've been stabbed as many times I'm going to be stabbed in my life. I don't know what happened, but I think that's probably something along those lines. And so he just said, now let's think about it a minute. He's not in, he's not out. <laughs> he's not being obedient to his calling but he's not being disobedient going out into the world. He's neither cold nor what? Hot. Interesting. In just a few years, John, the apostle, would write to the Laodicean church, wouldn't he? It was not John. It was Jesus saying, this is what I have against you. You're lukewarm. Isn't that right? And you think that you're wealthy. They were wealthy valley, the Lycus Valley. You think you're wealthy, but you're not. You're poor. You think you see, but you're blind. You think you're clothed with great clothing, but you're naked in my sight. Come to me. I'm knocking at the door. So we need to be careful because I think in America, most of the churches are not as fruitful as they think. But they have a great show. You could take it to Las Vegas. They've got the lights and the glitter and the, and the sound and the band. And everybody looks cool. And, you know, everybody's got the thing. And the pastor, he's, he's practiced. He's eloquent. He's walking around. He's got the thing. He's got them on their, the edge. You know, he's, he's a dynamic speaker. And, and whoo, okay, we, did we put on a good show? Everybody leave. Make sure you pay for your tickets on the way out. Um. And they think, man, our church is amazing because there's lots of people and we're really dynamic. And even non-Christians think we're amazing. But yet, I think the COVID, I think the COVID really revealed a lot. I think people went to church three, four, five times a year. And then they couldn't do that during a couple of years of COVID. And they realized, I'm the same. When I didn't in these last two years that I didn't go to church four or five times I'm exactly the same except I got those weekends off <laughs> I didn't have to waste my time going to church so me and God got it worked out I don't need to go to church I don't need to read the Bible every day I don't need to pray and seek God he understands that I'm sincerely uh, a sincere guy and and he's a sincere guy and 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 we get it 
And they've created themselves this Christianity. And can they be completely blamed? No. Because the church isn't breaking bread. The church doesn't require fellowship. The church doesn't require that you lead people to Christ and, and, and disciple those people that you've led to Christ. It's literally, okay, everybody take off your cover at church. I'm a Christian. But then we put back on our wardrobe when we walk outside. Tell as few people as possible you're Christian. Because one, I don't want them to, to be watching me when those times I'm not walking as a Christian. I'm not being judged as a Christian. And also, I don't have to be on fire. I don't have to be a person that's, that's really, really where I need to be in the Lord. I, I like the fact that my Christianity is the way it is. But part of the way I keep my Christianity the way it is, is the fewer people that know I'm a Christian, the better. It works best for me to be seen as just a regular non-Christian guy. I get along with my neighbors, people at work. My family better when I, I'm under the radar. Well, how does the church, which I believe is the last day's church, become a Laodicea? I think right here. I, I, I mean, I, 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 I pray that you don't come in here late and then leave here early trying to have as little contact as possible. I just don't think that's healthy for you. I think you need to seek the Lord and have something to share, to say, okay, it's not just being here to receive. I'm here to serve. We all are a part. I want to I find out what's going on and lay hands on people and pray for people. And I've learned as I seek the Lord, God gives me words of knowledge or words of wisdom or he gives me a gift of faith or a gift of prophecy. Whatever it is, use those gifts to find out who's sick and let me pray for you. You're like, man, you're the 10th person that's prayed for my healing today. That's great, isn't it? What's really going on? Man, I haven't been in the word this week. I, I wanted to pray. I wanted to seek. I just didn't. We got busy, and, and I put God on the shelf. And so I could live my earth stuff, and it's not fruitful that way. Because once I do it one week, I can do it two, three, four weeks. And then I'm not where I want to be spiritually, close to the Lord in his love, in his power, in the spirit. And so again, if you would, Archippus is sort of a warning sign of where the whole church is headed. So right now, do you need encouragement? You know what? If you need encouragement today, this is it. I just gave you some encouragement. But you know what it also, if you need encouragement, do you understand what that really means? Do unto others as you would what? Have them do unto you. If you need encouragement, guess what other people need? Encouragement. So be, say, I'm, I'm going to come to not be served, but to serve. But when somebody tries to serve you, receive it. It's, it's, it's much easier to wash somebody else's feet than to sit still and have somebody wash your feet. How many of you guys have been to a feet washing service? How many of you guys have done that? Oh, my goodness. We're going to have to do that one of these times. Let's do it next week. No, we're not. We're not. <laughs> Poor Brian Perry shows up. Nobody's here. He's like, what happened? Um, no. But I'll tell you what. 
Washing somebody's feet, no problem. Having somebody wash your feet, yeah, I can, I can, I can say I've never experienced a breaking like that. But you be the encourager. Again, we're in the last days. In Hebrews 12, verse 12 to 13, it says, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down, the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. If there's somebody like that here today, and you sit and have a cup of coffee with them, and, and you talk about politics or all the different things going on, and they leave here dislocated? Have you ministered to them? I don't think so. This is where, again, we want it to be, you be in the Spirit. You're full of the Holy Spirit. Your cup is overflowing. As David said in Psalm 23, my cup overflows. And so when I'm next to somebody, my cup is overflowing on them. And I, and I, I just, it's a natural thing to say, how can I pray for you this week? How can I pray for you right now? Hey, are you on fire for the Lord the way you want to be? Let me pray for that. Tell me next week what God spoke to you this, this coming week in the Lord. Next Sunday, I want you to tell me. And after service, I want you to tell me from the sermon what spoke to you today. Guys, don't be lukewarm. This is something I've been wrestling with. What, what is the last day's pastor to be? Do you remember some of those Left Behind movies? And remember, the people in some of the church were completely like shocked. Going, a rapture happened? And they're at church, and the pastor, unfortunately, is there. <laughs> and they're like, what's a rapture? I've been here my whole life. I'm 28 years old. I've never heard of a rapture. Oh, well, you know, I just didn't think you guys would be interested in because it's a pretty technical you know, the church basically gives me 15 minutes to encourage you, and I can't really teach on things like that in 15 minutes. And people were just wondering, going, I can't believe. I don't want that to be the case. I want you guys to be able to discern the times. The sons of Issachar discern the times, and everybody looked to them to lead the people. So right after Easter, we're going to have at least a couple of weeks, maybe more, of looking at scriptures on the last days. But we need to be a last days church. That's a church really with the expectation that this may be my last day to share the Lord. You know, Caprina's dad, 65, he died. Every year at their New Year's service, I say there's somebody here that won't make it to the next year. Preaching that several years back, one of them was my 21-year-old son. So again, the, the, the idea of living like I have 10 years to do, <laughs> 10 years of ministry may not be the case. The case is, is we need to realize these last days. And I, as a last days pastor, need to constantly mention this. And you know what I think the last day's church is? Archippus. <laughs> I think he's a, he's a picture of the last day's church. Neither hot nor cold. I'll pray as long as it's very short, not very painful. I'll go to church as long as you don't preach very long. 
I'll, I'll come early if, if I won't come early. Forget that. Not going to happen. I'll, I, you know, if I get there 10 minutes late, I only have to sing for 10 minutes instead of 20. And, um, and I'm going to sit close to the door so I can get the heck out of here right afterwards, all you people over there. That's why you're not sitting over here. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that all Christianity, especially in the Western world right now, has the tendency to be a laity in church. And that's me. I'm not saying you. I'm saying that's me. We're all being corralled and led by the world, the spirit of this world, which is don't be on fire. It'll cost you. Don't be a light to the world. Don't share the Lord where people don't want to hear it because then they're going to hate you. You don't want to be uncomfortable. And so we're like, yeah, it's sharing the Lord is for those couple of crazy people in the church that are sort of weird, I think. I don't want to be one of those weirdos that share my, share my faith. I think all these things are a part of it. And a number of passages, let me just look at them quickly, and I'm not going to read them. I'm just going to mention them. Like in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 through 14, Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Exhort one a daily, exhort one another daily, why it's called today. Lest any of you be hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. We've been partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. In Hebrews 10, 24, I say it almost weekly. Consider one another to stir up love and good works. And that word consider is literally to irritate. Irritate one another. You know, so much more as you see the day approaching, encourage one another to not forsake the gathering of the brethren as is the manner of some. There are some that are monthly Christians. There are some that are quarterly Christians. There are some that are just special occasion, you know, Christmas and Easter and, and uh, stuff like that. And it's just not a pattern. That's a wise pattern to have, period. But especially in the last days, because the doctrines of demons. Look at 1 Timothy 4.1. The Spirit expressly says, this word, he's jumping up and down and screaming, that in the latter days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to these deceiving spirits. Instruct the brethren in these things, Paul says. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance. These things command and teach. And of course, in 2 Timothy 3, but know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. Because that age, people are going to be lovers of themselves. So whatever loves me, whatever benefits me, whatever is, is, is comfortable and exciting to me, that's what I'll do. And going to church takes effort. Reading the Bible takes effort. Praying takes the effort. Sharing our faith or taking time to disciple somebody every week for the next six months. That, that's not something that I can do in my schedule. That's not something I'm comfortable with. That's not something, and, and I know, they, they were in perilous times, and we love money. And he gives this long list of things, and then he ends it by saying, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, they still consider themselves godly, and they consider themselves being completely faithful to Jesus and Christianity, even though they only go to church four times a year. 
but they deny its power or its reality. They always are learning, but never able to come to the truth. These things, they resist the truth. They progress no further. I, I, I have a bunch of stats that I almost brought today. But I know how much you guys don't like an hour and 15-minute sermon, so I left them at home. But you would be amazed how many people who claim to be Christian, one, that number has plummeted, especially in the last few years, who will even claim to be a Christian. But out of that number that claims to be a Christian, almost all of them, guys, believe the church is wrong on the issue of homosexuality and now transgendered. That God made them homosexuals and you're telling them they're sinners. You're absolutely horrible. I don't believe the Bible says that. If it does say that, I don't accept that part of the Bible. That's the majority of people in the Western culture. And so now the churches, and you might have been reading about it with the Episcopal Church, the United Methodist Church, they're all having church splits right now. I know the church Cheryl and I raised in, they're having a three-way split on this issue, the Nazarene Church we grew up in, because the younger people are coming in going, if you keep being unwilling to marry homosexuals in the church, we're out of here. If, if you don't accept my homosexual friends, uh, as, as Christians, because they say they're Christians, then we're out of here. If you don't believe that transgendered is something that God has made also, uh, then we're out of here. And they have no problem whatsoever to, to say we have our own Christianity now, but our Christianity, we're still going to call ourselves the United Methodist Church, but we're going to split off. It's not very united, but we're going to split off and, and we're going to have a lesbian pastor, and, and we're going to do homosexual marriages and so forth. Guys, I know it's not touching us in a very conservative church, but do you realize we believe every word of the Bible is God's word? Do you, do you know what other denominations believe that? <laughs> Almost none. You got your Presbyterian Dutch Reform group, a bunch of crazy Calvinists, and then you got your Southern Baptist, less crazy Calvinist. And then you got us. <laughs> That's it. We're like less than 1% of Christendom worldwide. So again, in these last days, guys, it's going to get harder and harder. People, it says they're going to go to and fro throughout the earth to find somebody who will tell them the word, but they can't get it. In 2 Timothy 4, he says, Evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And he goes on saying how they need to continue in the doctrine that they have learned. Well, finishing up in verse 18. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. Paul, again, couldn't write the letters. His health was failing. His ability to write was failing. He had a scribe, somebody with him, maybe Luke, somebody else was writing the letter. But then the very end, he would try to sign it. 
and try to add this little last line. Uh, the verse 18 was Paul tried to write it. In Galatians six eleven. he said, oh my goodness, look at what large letters I'm writing uh, with my hand. You can tell that last verse is something I wrote because it's large letters and hard to read. And, and then he says, secondly, remember my chains. Boy, it's so easy, out of mind, out of sight. Do you realize India has gone next to number nine in the most persecuted Christians in the world? The new president over there used to be a governor. And he ran on, I will literally put in prison or kill everybody who doesn't worship as a Hindu. So Muslims and Christians and anybody else. And he ran. That was his platform. He ran on to become the president of the country. And he is doing it. They, they started persecuting the Muslims, but the Muslims will blow you up. Back. You're going to blow us up? We'll blow you up. Christians don't do that. We blow them up and they do nothing to us. So we'll just concentrate on Christians. About a year and a half ago, I was teaching a streaming Bible study to a Bible college in an unnamed place. And the whole classroom was packed in there. They all look like terrorists. <laughs> they love the Lord, but just the way they were dressed, the way they looked. And as I was preaching, there was a knock at the door. And then there was some scuffling, and I heard something. All of a sudden, they clicked me off. And I was warned that that might happen. And I found out about a week later that a number of the leaders of that Bible college were arrested and that they had been in jail. I, don't, I never heard when they got out. But also, all of the students there were taken to their parents, one by one, by the secret police. These were secret police. And their parents were scolded, scolded them and, and uh, were to keep them under wraps. And they were fined. But now, it's far, far worse in India. They're just, it's, it's, okay, just to give you an idea... India is number nine, the most persecuted church or persecuted uh, country of Christians. Guess what's, num- guess what's in front of that? Iran. Iran, close. I, I don't know where North Korea is on that, but Iran. So try to be a Christian openly in Iran and see how long you last. Well, that's what it's like in India. So Paul says, guys, remember my chains. Remember in Timothy, Timothy was wanting to distance himself from Paul. And he told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.8, do not be ashamed of my chains or me as a prisoner. Share with me in the sufferings. And later in Hebrews 13.3, remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated. So these people that are suffering on the planet Earth right now for having stood for Christ, got baptized, preached Christ, he's saying, don't forget about him, but when you pray for them, in your mind, visualize you're right next to them in prison, chained to them, and, and pray, inter, interceding on behalf. And then, tiny four little words, grace be with you. So if you've been tracking, the letter opened with grace, and now it's ending with grace. As it begins, so it ends. Grace is the whole deal. We can only go forward safely in Christian life if grace is with us. If grace isn't with us, it's a different Christianity, right? 
Because all religions put this big giant strain and stress on everybody saying, reach God. You need to get on your knees and, and, and crawl tw- two miles to the basilica to seek God. And maybe you'll, you'll please him with your bloody knees and walking uphill on the gravel. That'll please him. You need to go to church because you're trying to earn God, favor with God and earn salvation. All worlds in the religion, it's put on you to try to reach God. Christianity is the only religion where God is seeking you out. And God is coming to you. And your faith is not in you trying to please God and reach God and be accepted by God and do some good works to go to heaven. Christianity is having faith in the goodness of God. That's it. To believe that God loves me. This is, and this is love, not about me loving God. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity's first understanding how much God loves us. And then there's an automatic response of love to God out of grace. But it's got to be from that grace. Grace is the name of our gospel. Paul says in Acts 20, 24, we have the gospel of grace. It's the first step into salvation. By grace, you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's not of your works. It is a gift of God. Remember the two thieves on the cross. (laughs) Both of them were mocking Jesus on the Via Della Rosa, on the way to the Golgotha. On the cross, they're both mocking him. If you look at all three Gospels. But then one of them realized Man, listen to this guy. John, take care of mother. Father, forgive him. They know not what they do. And he says, Jesus, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, not if, but in the future, remember me. And what did Jesus say? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Because salvation is a gift of God. Salvation is not of yourself. It's not of works. So even though this man was tied to a cross and would never live to do one good work, <laughs> It's, it's not how salvation comes. Salvation's a gift. <clears throat> so we have faith continually in the grace. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith. But we are told in Ephesians 2, it's faith in the grace, in the goodness, in the love of God. God never fails. When we're faithless, he remains faithful. When And and this is where we as Christians, we please God through our faith in his love, his grace. And the full revelation of God through Jesus was grace. And in John chapter 1, it says that the the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory of God the Father. And, And we beheld it full of grace and then truth. Yes, we also need to live a sanctified life, but it's after the grace. It's from the grace. It's in response to the grace. Jesus came and just loved and did not condemn anybody and told the truth, but the truth was after they understood God's love for them. And then of that fullness, we've all received grace for grace or grace upon grace. And then in Romans 5, it tells us it's in the faith into this grace that causes us to stand. If your knees are 
buckling and you feel like you're going to fall over, you need to be strong in the grace. You need to go back to realize that it is God who's the father in the prodigal son story. David was a man after God's own heart towards Mephibosheth in 1 Samuel 9. All of the stories that that God is this God of love and forgiveness and mercy and kindness and goodness. And he's not focused on you saving you at any point, but it's you trusting his love that when we fall down, we get up. Where sin abounds, what happens? Grace abounds more. The righteous man falls seven times. He's still considered a righteous man, and he can get up seven times because God's grace. When we struggle, any of you guys ever struggle with sin? I, I quit. I quit about 20 years ago. No, we struggle with sin every day, don't we? And we, in, in Ephesians 4, it says, Understand you always have a sympathetic high priest. No condemnation. And that high priest just says, yeah, I know. The sinful body, the sinful world you inherited from Adam and Eve, it is hard. It is harsh. Therefore, let us come humbly and shy and bashful into the throne of grace. Is that what it says? No. Have faith. If I'm a lemon, God, you picked it. (laughs) Make some lemonade. Satan's condemning us. Satan's like, you're so worthless. You're not saved. God doesn't make Christians that look like you. Blah, 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 blah. He's condemning. But we come back and, and and we come into that to the God of grace, at the throne of grace, to obtain all the grace and mercy we need. Isn't that awesome? We come to the God of grace, And then we come and bow before his throne of grace. And then he gives us all the grace, grace upon grace and mercy we need. First Peter 1.13 says, Grid up the loins of your mind, be sober, rest your hope fully upon the grace that has been brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So as much as we know about grace now, it's nothing compared to when we see Jesus face to face. So fully rest your hope on the grace. The final verse of the Bible, Jesus says this in Revelation 22, 21, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen means so be it, Lord. Yes, Lord, exactly like that. So what do we learn in these last few verses? Let's be faithful members of the body of Christ. Take heed to the ministry of God's given you. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit was given to each one for the profit of all. In 1 Corinthians 12, 11, but one in the same Spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So if you're a born-again believer, God's spirit lives in you. He also has to each one of us a manifestation of the spirit or a ministry that God's uniquely given you. And I say to you, Archippus, take heed to that ministry that you fulfill it. Secondly, let us be faithful to think about each other 
and to be ready to reach out and encourage one another, exhort one another daily. Why is called today? So you get that moving of the spirit to send an email or make a phone call or send a text. You know what you need to do? Do it. Don't, don't say, oh, man, I almost called you Monday. Oh, I almost sent you a text Monday. I wish I had now. No. Do it while it's called today. Send that verse that so spoke to your heart this morning. Send it out in a group text. Number three, let us look like the New Testament church and not some American culture church that isn't what the Lord had in mind. He wants us to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, koinonia, communion, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Well, Lord, we just come and lay this all before your feet today. We know there was some spanking going on, and there was some comforting going on right after the spanking. But Lord, in these last days, what does it look like for a pastor who sees the signs of the time, the days are as Noah, where man's heart is evil continually and violence fills the earth. So we're seeing that throughout the planet now. Wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilence and, and fathers betraying children and children betraying fathers. And, and we see this where it's an epidemic of kids cutting off their parents and vice versa and siblings cutting each other off. You said the last days love would grow cold and we're seeing it. What's that mean for us since being last days Christians? And what does it mean for me as a last days pastor? Lord, I just ask that you would stir us all up this morning. Provoke us all, irritate us all to love and good works that those who have been faithful would be more faithful still. Those who have been choosing God and the church and ministry on their own terms would stop it and start obeying you, that no matter how it cuts into their time or their life or their comfort zone, that they would realize that one of the warnings of the last days was if you've been connected to the church, stop being disconnected to the church. Because the doctrines of demons are going to be overwhelming. The pressure to be a Christian is to be a lukewarm Christian at best. Lord, awaken us out of our sleep. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us wake up and put on the full armor of God. And just heal us now with your word today. Let it be a healing balm in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen, amen.